This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. This episode is brought to you by the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time. When there's two tickets left for the show. When everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to. When everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. Exactly. Keep it fresh. <laughs> Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout, guys. Cliff, what's our uh, tagline now that you came up with? I'm putting you on the spot. I know you might learn something. You probably won't, but you're guaranteed to laugh. Boom. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go with that. And uh, we have a uh, one of Cliff's buddies on named Reese. Reese, will you give us like a little teaser about yourself for the listeners? Hey, what's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me on. Uh, yeah, just a little bit about myself. My name's uh, Andrew Reese. Reese, go by Reese's, Reese Cup, Reese Puffs, Reese Pieces, you know, anything like that. I've heard it all by now, but a little bit about me. I've uh, been fishing pretty much all my life. Started uh, fly fishing when I was probably about 12, so about 13, 14 years now. Um, and just kind of really picked it up, ran with it, haven't put the fly rod down. Uh, back out in college, just kind of started teaching a lot of my friends and family how to fly fish. And then someone once came along and said, Hey, have you ever thought about guiding? I was like, no, never really gave it much thought. And next thing I know, here I am a full-time fly guide here in the Northeast Georgia area. But, um, that's a little bit about me. I uh, just got married last year to my beautiful bride, Haley and our little six month old pup, uh, Stella. So that's me and my family right there. If I was. I also want to point out that it's no longer just one wolf, UWG wolf on the podcast. He also graduated University of West Georgia. Oh, there you go. That's the second largest percentage of a different college. (laughs) 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 Wow. Um, So I think we're going to have fun tonight. We uh, are fresh off the wood tip. Pickle chip hunting weekend. Oh, yeah. And uh, you guys have already probably listened to that episode. But if you haven't, go back to the last episode and listen. Yeah. Will Paul's. All right, we're back. <laughs> um, so, Cliff, how are you feeling Couple four days. days after your successful archery hunt? Uh, pretty good. Still elated when I look at the arrow and whatnot, which mm-hmm. I have. Uh, I see it lovely. It is just. Dis- 
blade. Yeah, and I actually clear-coated it, so all the stuff will stay on it, hopefully. You won't wipe mm. off the blood. Exactly. There you go. Mm-hmm. I want to keep it like that. Um, nice. He's also keeping the broadhead on, and the broadheads he's using are not... No, they're not cheap. They're like 30 bucks a piece. A piece? Yes. yes. Damn, I was like 40 bucks for three. Yeah. yeah. These, these are not... These are... No, but... <laughs> You, you saw put, that punch. You saw that punch. Did nice. you put the blood on your face? Uh, it's not my first hog, and I'm not doing a hog like that. He did put a little bit of peepee on his face, though. I did. <laughs> I, I, I nicked the bladder <laughs> and ruined all the meat. Um, yeah, so now 80%. I got to now I got to share half my hog with you because we were yeah, and I got to split sh- fifty fifty. I got to share wait, half wait, the wait. cost. Hold <laughs> you put hog urine on your face. No, <laughs> it didn't get on. It didn't actually get on me, but as I was uh starting to gut it and cutting up the belly um the tip of my knife just tilted ever so slightly past my fingers which i was using as like a guide and i nicked the the bladder and pee ran all down it oh so rookie mistakes but um when i did get home because i skinned the head when I got home, I boiled it down and took uh, the rest of the meat off of that and took all the eyes and stuff out. You yeah. know what? I never looked at the tusks. Yours Skin. was a boar. Did it have some tusks on it? So after they looked to be about an inch and a half or so um, while there was still meat on the boar. The picture looks good, though. But uh, after I had boiled the head down and it's just the skull and it's in my compost right now letting the worms do their job, uh, it seems to be about more like an inch and a half to two inch long. Yeah, I mean, I'd be proud to like display that. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. No, it looks it's looking good. We'll have to post a picture when you when get it, it mounted done. and everything. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta find a skull hooker, and I would like to find. Uh, <laughs> get your minds out of the gutters. Uh, I'd like to find. I saw this thing. Uh, on the internet, you attach it to your drill. What do you, you attach just, to it? It's like a long rod with like some spinny things on it. Okay. And you stick it into the where the brainstem goes. Okay, it's like or the, back, the back part. Yeah, and you can stick it in and drill around, and it turns the brain matter into pretty much liquid, so you can clean out that brain material. So it ends up being better, because I tried to scramble it all out as much as I could, but there's still chunks of brain matter up in there. Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm wanting the work, the worms to do the work to get that out right now. Mm. Yeah. How long does, is that process supposed to take? The composting. Oh, well, this isn't composting. Technically, this is, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, Feeding the worms? Pretty much. Uh I'm going to check back no sooner than three weeks. I'm going to give it three weeks to do what it's doing, and if it's not done by then, I'm going to invest in that uh, brain cleaner. Okay. But I guess technically you can't let it sit out too long, right? Like it's not like you can check in and be like, oh, I should have done it at four weeks instead of five, and now it's ruined. Right. There's no There's no like, reason. Nothing can really happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you going to bleach it afterwards? Uh, so they have... I found a hydrogen or a peroxide powder paste like combo that mm-hmm. you mix together and you cover the entire skull with it and then you put it in like a plastic bag to like let it sit and dry. Mm-hmm. And you want it out of like moisture. So like garage is fine or outside with in the sun would be fine. Um, 
and let it set in, I think, a couple of days or so. You come back and you just kind of rinse off the rest of it and then it's ready to hang mm-hmm. and it's bleached out. But, I mean, none of my other ones are truly bleached other than by sun. So I might set it out on something and just let it sun bleach for maybe a month after mm-hmm. it's done and yeah. then hang it. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Luckily, gotcha. it's luckily it's just a hog. It's not a deer. Deer, I'd be way more finicky about. Like if I had something with true antlers, mm. I'd be a little more finicky. So antlers are more important than tusks to you? No, deers are more important than hogs to me. Mm. Cool. Well, Zach, what are we drinking tonight? Tonight, with it being St. Patrick's Day and trying to embrace my Irish heritage... Uh, first thing we got is a Kilbrin. It's a single malt Irish whiskey. I have the aged uh, ten year, and uh, yeah, it's very good. I like it. I do too. Yeah, it definitely has like Irish whiskey. You know, you guys know I'm more of a bourbon fan, but uh, this is good. There's yeah. a little bit of sweetness to it, but it's also like a lot better than Jameson. Yeah, yeah it should be. <laughs> that bottle's like sixty bucks. <laughs> Reese is drinking on something tonight, too. What you got, Reese? Uh, no Irish special or anything. I just got a little old Jack Daniels and uh, ginger here. Ooh. Mm. Uh, that's, a, ginger. Uh, that's a classic Reese drink, Jack and gingers. Yeah. So when we, we used to live together before I moved here, me and him lived together for about six or so months. Hey, Reese, what was it like living with Cliff? Um, I actually enjoyed living with Cliff. He was a pretty solid roommate compared to some of the other guys I had. <laughs> he was very neat, organized. You should see his garage. It was kind of. It was kind of like living. It was kind of like living with a woman. <laughs> everything wow. was everything was nice and clean. But we would. Uh, so, we, <laughs> so we worked together and we lived together. So we would get up. And would y'all carpool together? Yeah. Save we, money on gas? Yeah, we would. Nice. And we would drive down. We would have coffee and orange juice on the way to work. We would bring stuff for, like, to make bagel breakfast sandwiches in the mornings. Or we would Friday, Fridays were bagel days, so we'd bring our own fried egg and bake it. <laughs> make bacon. That sounds pretty nice. And then we would, we would get there early and work till about four or so, three or four, and then cut up. Georgia 400 back to where we lived, which was only about two miles from the Chattahoochee. We would load up a cooler and then go down to the Chattahoochee and fish and sit on the sandbar drinking the rest of the evening. That sounds pretty nice. It was. And then for dinner, we would always eat a place called PJ's. TJ's. TJ's. That's pretty nice, right. like bachelor life. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was solid. It was, it, was sol- it was a solid life there for a while. And he would always do- order Jack and Ginger Ginger's. <laughs> Um, and he is a ginger, so it makes sense too. I am. So, Reese, at one how, point, how would you rate your uh, drink? Gut check on a scale to five. Like on taste or how? However, taste, heritage. We're not. We're not going to put. We're not going to put you in a box. Yeah, no parameters. Just like, boom, out of five. What's your uh, gut say? I'd give it a nice little six, seven there. Out of uh, five. Out of five. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if it's his go-to drink and he drinks it all the time. It then. should be a six, seven, yeah. then. <laughs> I mean, if it, was a, if it was a good week, you know, I might go splurge a little bit, get a little bit better bottle of whiskey. But for the most part, I'm, a, I'm on that Jack and Ginger 
diet yeah. there. I went through, like, a Jameson ginger phase there for a while. Yeah, I think that was actually, like, my first, like... Jack and ginger is a very good combination. It, uh, yeah, and Jameson ginger is kind of the same thing. It's Yeah, it's just good. I would give this that you brought, Zach, a solid four. Yeah, I would definitely buy this again. They had another one the guy was recommending, too, that uh, was a sherry cast. Same uh, Kilburn, but it was... Um, Aged in sherry casks. Mm. So, a little bit more of that fruity note. What else did you bring? Oh, I brought this one, which is a single batch Irish cream liqueur uh, called Five Farms. And we're so, going to review that later on in the podcast. Yeah, this will be our dessert tonight. So, once we get through these glasses, we're going to try this. And this one was like more recommended than that one was, but I was like, we got to have regular Irish whiskey and then we'll do the Irish cream. Nice. And then we can make an Irish car bomb after. Ooh, those were those were always a favorite back in the day. <laughs> um, hey, Ian, you drinking a sparkling water tonight? Dude, sorry about that. My mouth is full of pizza. Um, <laughs> no, just do a just pizza regular. review. Yeah, yeah review your pizza. pizza. Oh, you want me to do a pizza review? Okay. Yeah, man. Unless it's Domino's. delivery. This is. I haven't eaten all day, so this is a Domino's gluten-free. I'm celiac, if nobody knows. Celiac 10-inch pizza. It's got extra cheese, extra pepperoni, extra bacon, regular olives. Okay, that's an uh, combination, peppers. but I get it. Man, I really feel like Domino's changed their gluten-free crust recently because it's a lot more light and, like, airy than it used to be. It used actually, to be like eating a brick. It's actually just gluten pizza they gave it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it doesn't rise as well. It's really good. Uh, five being the best pizza, this is like a 3.2. Oh, uh, you know what? For delivery, they could have like 20 minutes. Not bad. Yeah. And there's not Dude, that many gluten free options it. out there. They literally delivered it in like 15 minutes. It yeah. So well, fast. You know what they say. What About what? If it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We got Dude, some questions. Dude, what quest- happened to DiGiorno? I haven't seen an ad for them in a long time. Hey, they're still in the Kroger aisle here in Georgia. Are they? Yeah, I see them at HEB all the time. We got a uh, couple questions. Let me go to this one first. One second. All right, so our first question was, um, what is your bucket list North American freshwater fish you haven't caught yet? Okay. Ian, why don't you go first? Okay. Like huge brookies in Labrador, and I will tell you why. Okay. Because, one, it's a super remote part of the uh, North America that is not fished. And it's, I, I can't afford to go there, I wish, but you got to pay to go there via float plane and do that. And two, um, I just think I would have a higher success rate than going after like steelhead or something like that. Um, and I just think, uh, I don't know, it just, I've seen the, the photos and the pictures about going out there and John Garrick wrote about it, or he talks about going out there a little bit and just like catching, you know, they're kind of an anomaly, right? Like there are these massive brook trout that they found that are huge. And if you don't know much about brook trout, traditionally, they're tiny, like nine inches, 10 inches tiny. And they're they're finding ones that are like in the pounds. So, um, yeah, I just really want to go out there and it just looks pristine and beautiful. And I think I would have a higher success rate than 
steelheading or something like that. I think that's great. Speaking of brook trout, too, that reminded me, Zach got a new tattoo. Dude. How's it healing up? It's pretty fresh. Wait, you did? Yeah, dude. I got a, I got a little brookie. Got a little brookie underneath my mountains on my arm. Wait, where? Like uh, on your form. back? Or no, on my like... forearm. I'll take a picture, dude. Okay. I'll send, a picture. Um, send me did, a pic, dude. dude. So you guys know that the first time I ever went fly fishing was in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, with my brother, and we caught little four-inch brookies uh, all day long, and man, that was like one of my best days ever, and so I figured, why not get a little brookie tattoo? Plus, I mean, like, when you look at them, they're just like beautiful fish that are just like Mm -hmm. so colorful, and uh, man, I can't say enough about brook trout, so I uh, went ahead and got one tattooed on me. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Reese. Yeah, they're beautiful, right? Yeah. Hey, Sorry, Reese. No, no, you're good, Ian. Uh, Reese, what is your bucket list North American fish? That I have not caught, is what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go with probably uh, walleye or northern pike. One, probably one of those two. Mm. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just because we don't get those down here in the south. And, um, you know, I've kind of caught all of the catfish, the bass, the trout. I've uh, been out to Alaska a couple of times, so I've got the salmon. So um, the walleye, the northern pike, those are all on the to-do list for sure. Um, still had trouts up there, um, but from like I heard what you just mentioned, the success rate on that is pretty low and um, not quite sure I'm ready for to be slinging the lures, heavy lures all day in the pouring rain for – Maybe one fish. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, you got to pay to go out there and just come back. I mean, the deck is stacked against you, right? So, I yeah. mean, you guys Although, could be like to me. to be fair, Landon, tell, tell your story. Yeah. To be fair, you could catch a steelhead within the first five minutes of your first steelhead trip. <laughs> <laughs> so... Three. You know, you don't need to listen Landon, to all these Landon guys doom hunting. and gloom. Okay, <laughs> you can go out there and get it done. All right. Donate. <laughs> tell Reese that story because that story is amazing. Yeah. So Reese, I uh, did a steelhead trip in Washington on the OP on the Soul Duck River, and uh, it was me and a family member, and we had booked a guide. He had never fly fished before, and. Uh, um, I obviously had fly fish before, so we did this trip and we drove up and, uh, the, you know, the, the run hadn't officially started yet. Uh, it was still early. And so the guide was just like, I am being honest with you guys, you know, the success rates, the chances of, of catching something are pretty low. And I just want to be up front with you guys. I was like, Hey, I appreciate that. We're out here to have a good time and float the river and see this part of the country. So you know, we'll go get after it and he'll learn how to fish and it'll be a success either way. So we push off from the boat, from the, uh, from the boat ramp and like probably my fourth or fifth cast, I hooked up with a, about a 12 pound steelhead. No kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. guide was like, Ugh. yeah, no, he was like, he was, the guide was pretty pumped and, uh, I was real nervous while I was fighting it because, um, I hooked it right above a rapid, like um, a pretty gnarly rapid too. And there was just no way to not keep it going in. So the guide was like rowing us through a rapid. um, And I was finding this fish in like two points. The fish was under the boat. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to lose this fish. Somehow 
he caught an eddy in the middle of the rapid, and I was able to pull the fish in the eddy, and we just, like, scooped it up right away as quick as we could to keep it from going back out in there. And, uh, man, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. That, that sounds like a pretty sweet story. I'm just, I've always been told the stories are supposed to go like, you know, cast, 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 and you're sweating out to the last minute of that trip, hoping to get that hook set. Yeah. So, I, I, prop, I definitely feel very lucky. I, I definitely went into it thinking like, oh, I'm not going to catch fish, but I'm going to get, I just like floating rivers anyway and rafts looking at the scenery. And I'm like, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was just like, I was just happy to be there. And, uh, I, I didn't have high expectations, but the good thing that I know how to, we did like a lot of nymph fishing. We did some swinging on like two handed rods. Whenever we would get to a good run, we'd get out of the boat and he'd try to teach us how to cast those rods, but it was just nymphing. And I'm done a lot of nymphing, have a lot of experience with it. So I think that played well to my favor too, because we were fishing, nymphing really far away from the boat. Um, because those fish would spook super easy. So I think my experience there and all the practice I've put in on the Guadalupe here and other places I fish have really paid off. So mm-hmm. it was it was really nice. Although I ha- did have to sweat it out, I have caught a tarpon, and that was definitely my fish of, um, that was definitely my fish of like, I probably like hooked up with 20 or so before I actually landed one. That was definitely my fish I had to earn. Um, yeah. yeah. Cliff, what about you? What's your uh, freshwater fish? Freshwater North American. High altitude. An elk isn't a fish. <laughs> elk is not. <laughs> Probably high altitude graylings. Ooh, Ooh yeah, a yeah. grayling. Not just like one of those like stalker ponds they put them in in Colorado, but like no, with the work there, for it. There's just something about graylings I've always liked They're cool. because that fin. I just want yeah. to hold it up. And there is like right like that purpley gray and they're color. They're purple, man. I, I yeah. think that's so they're pretty. crazy looking fish, and I don't foresee me going on that trip anytime soon. So it's always going to kind of be like that fish that's like obtainable, but just a little out of reach. Right. Like uh-huh. a cutthroat was was on my list, and then we caught the one, and I caught like the most beautiful fish ever. Cutthroats were are on my list, but I rank a grayling just a little higher a little than minor. a cut. Yeah. What about you, Landon? Oh, man, I was thinking about this. Oh, uh, The fish I really wanted to catch were a bull trout and a steelhead, and I caught both of those. Did you caught a bull trout? Last year. That's right, but your bull trout. It was about 24 inches. Yeah, yeah, but it not wasn't like the massive ones It was that not we think massive, of. although I did see some big, some, oh, some big boys. Yeah. Um, man, I go back and forth. on Because I, I saw this question earlier, and I kind of spent the day thinking about it. And I go, I keep going back and forth between like l- legit smallmouth bass fishing because I've caught smallmouth here, but I haven't been like legitimate smallmouth bass fishing. But I've already caught one, so that doesn't really answer the question. And uh, so I think I would like to catch a Dolly Varden. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I thought it was pronounced Dolly Parton. <laughs> uh, hey, Classic. Uh, Google Dolly Varden. How do you spell it? Uh, spell it like it sounds. I don't even know how it sounds. Is it a V? Farden. Is it a B? Is it a fart? L-L-I-E-P-A-R-T. I don't know. I E P A R T. Varden. I think it's Varden with a V. Darling Parton with a V. Even Google's like, we got one thing that we think you're trying to spell, and it's not that. Let me see. Did you get it pulled up? Is it two words? Two words. It is. Okay. Well, that would have helped. Uh, okay. So they kind of look like a brookie. 
Yeah, they're a char. Yeah. They're okay. arctic char, just like a rook trout is. So they look like a little bit. And, man, every... Uh, every Ooh, but look at those. They have, like, those chunky big red spots. Yeah. Ooh, they they, yeah, they definitely cool. look different than a brook trout. Um, I get disappointed, though, because I always see people on... Uh, I always see, like, fishing oh. videos of people steelhead fishing, and they'll bycatch, like, a Dolly Varden, and they're like, oh... A stupid dolly, and I'm like, man, I would love to catch that fish. I would love to catch that fish. So, see, I always just thought these were salmon. Really, they're char. Spawned out salmon. They're they're a char, just like uh, a brook trout. A A brook trout's a char. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know this. Yeah. Yep. You learn something every new every day. So So I guess you do learn something today. Cliff learned something on his own podcast. Yeah. Hey, man. Um. Was that uh did everyone answer? Uh no, I did not. Oh. Um what was yours what was your bucket list? I I want to say bull trout, but like that's cuz it's like they're there, you know, but like I don't have that drive to go get a bull trout, you mm-hmm. know. Um I still have not caught a carp. So that is probably Ooh. there, but I really think I'm going to get that this year, you know. Some kind of like cliff where it's like I want the one that I say to be the one that's like okay, it's going to take me a few years to get it, you know. Um, so for that reason, maybe, maybe like a muskie. Oh, <laughs> you want to yeah. talk about a fish you got to put in time for. Yeah. So they I'd say that's we're harder good. for than a steelhead. See, I, I really don't have a drive for carp. Like I know a lot I of do. people, I've never caught one. Like I'm probably the most. You should hook into one. Then you'll take back your statement. Maybe, but like, it's not something. It's not been a fish that just kind of like amazes me. Uh, we have the next question. Yes. Um, if you had to spend your whole stimmy check on only fly fishing <laughs> here, <laughs> what would you buy, Ooh, Reese? Man. What would you, if you if you were about to spend that stimmy check on fly fishing gear? What were you? What would you buy? Um, I need a new streamer box. So I want like one of those like boat ba- like fish pond, uh, float bat boat bags with the. Uh, you know, that large sized, uh, streamer box. Mm. Um, I've been eyeing those new stealth craft boats too. Oh yeah. I'm um, trying to look here to get an upgrade here, but, um, you not quite ready to, to pull. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to get <laughs> exactly. rid of your, your drifty? Well, I mean, I'm just going to upgrade it. I'm running the 95 hide right now. Um, but, uh, those, those new stealthies are pretty dirty looking. He has a sweet drift boat. Really? Mm. I've fished out of it once. Lynn and I did a two man, uh, stealth craft for a trip or two. Good. Is what, the, the sniper? No, he's talking about a drift boat. The, right. The stealth craft drift boat. Yeah, boats. the big one, the three, yeah. the three man, right? Four. Yeah, they come, they, they make a, they make a two man, like a sniper for like, I think two people. And then the regular ones are like sixteen you, foot for three man. We fly. You're talking about flycraft. Oh, is that who I'm no, thinking? No, not no. Oh, stealth, okay. stealth, stealth, gotcha, gotcha. stealth craft, and it's like a drift boat. Like you're talking, you're like you're fishing in a fiberglass boat. Yeah. Oh, exactly. gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Do you need I, fiberglass for for Georgia? That's just what he runs. Okay. I I would probably say on some of those rivers, a raft would probably work better because they are some shallow spots, like the Guad here has. Yeah, but drift boats are so much more. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're clutch. Oh, they? oh yeah, and I've hey I fished out of a stealth craft. It's a nice boat, and I fished out of a hide too. Um, like and, he, it, and he hides are nice. Reese took me down the Chattahoochee, and it was it was perfect for the hooch. Hmm. 
Hey, Reese, why do you want a stealth craft over uh, your hide that you have? Other than, like, age, why not upgrade to a newer hide? Um, well, one, uh, we got a, one of, uh, we got a local vendor here for stealth craft who is constantly pushing it my way. Uh, so he's, he's throwing out a little bit better discount than hide at the moment, but, uh, I do love my hide, but you know, in the guide world, you know, a few thousand dollars of savings goes a long way. Yeah. So, and those, um, and those boats ain't cheap. Those, no, uh, no, those not by any cheap. means, but, um, a couple of my friends, they're, uh, big fans of those Montana skiffs and, uh, they're pretty sweet boats mm-hmm. there. Um, but I just look for something with a lot of, you know, dry, dry storage, rod space, and just, you know, some space between me and the clients, uh, just so everyone has, you know, I don't like getting a tight boat, you know, with, you know, people chunking six inch streamers. So I'm always looking for those open floor plans and just a lot of space mm-hmm. for everyone to, you know, not be on top of each other there, but I'm, I'm open to other boats too. But like you said, when you get, when you got a local rep pushing, a pushing you into one of his boats it makes makes it a little bit easier to go that way yeah absolutely by the way he also fishes chases game changers yeah i bought him a few for christmas a couple years you ago. caught some fish on chases got a, game changers i've got i've got a couple uh in the old streamer box i don't i don't use them for clients so those are oh, those are the really special yeah. <laughs> i don't think anybody would yeah, he's actually bought some I, uh, of them too yeah so it's funny i got i got my first order took the clients out threw one on, told him not to cast up in this log jam, and he cast up in the log jam and popped it off in the first cast. So oh, I was like, okay, whatever. There's 20 bucks. Threw a second, threw, threw a, yeah, exactly. Threw a second one on. Uh, he made a couple of casts right back in the log jam, broke it off. I said, okay, no more game changers for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, what about you, Ian? How are you going to spend that stimmy check? If it was only on fishing gear. Ooh, only on fishing gear, man. I need a new A-weight. So I might do like a new A-weight setup. Nice. There you go. That's that's solid use of money. Yeah. Like, what about you, Cliff? Does it have to be on fishing gear? It said fish. The question was fishing gear. Can't be hunting gear. It can't be hunting gear. You just bought a new shotgun, too. So what else could you spend your right, money on? Need? I, still, I still need a Predator gun. There you go. Um, fishing gear, man, to be honest, I I want a new pair of waders, which wouldn't technically be fishing, but waders are waders. No, that's what that counts. Uh, You have a nice pair of waders hanging up right there. You do. You're like one of the nicest pair out of the group. Yeah. I want a pair of, uh, I want some duck hunting waders. You want some, some that start with that brand that starts with an S and ends with the Itka. Possibly, <laughs> probably, probably not though. Those How many stimmy checks do you have to save up to get oh, a pair be, of those? It would be one stimmy check. Oh, okay. Really? But Dang. it'd be it'd be the full stimmy check. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, man, if I really could choose for something, because I I have a plan for mine that's more uh, financially uh, conservative and more adult. But if I could just blow the money, I probably would just go and buy a new hog gun. Yeah. Because I really want a Predator gun and outfit it with a night vision optic. Yeah. Just be, well, he asked about fishing, Cliff. I'm just saying me, man. Can we say, <laughs> hey, can our, can guide trips be? It's fishing related. I don't see why not. Yeah, I definitely do. I, I'm like, right now I'm at a point where like, 
rods, reels. I mean, like I could always buy more flies, right? Kind of clean up or clean up my boxes a little bit. But for the most part, like I got that quiver that I've kind of been shooting for. I got three, five, a good six, a good eight, and then a nine. I could arguably get like a 10 or 11, but I, I don't need it right now. So I'm kind of happy with all my rods set up. Hey, we didn't even consider this. Let's not buy fishing gear. Honey hole group. Uh, use our sunny stimmy money for go a, on a trip. nice trip. I would agree with that. Once he said that, I was like, if it has to be fishing related, that's what I would do. That'd be cool. That check would go a long way for four of us. Trip. Yeah, and then you also uh, have the rest rest of the money left over for beer. I don't yeah. think there'd be money left over, but there might be. There might be. Depends on who you got them with. I mean, that's true. No, uh, Gabe's supplying all the whiskey. We don't need beer. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we do have Gabe listening with us, so he might chime in at one point. Right. Um, he says no, but <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think oh, I don't need fishing gear. Yeah, that's I got, how, I got that's everything. Kind of how I feel is I have everything. Nice I need pair of saltwater pliers. Be oh, cool, yeah. yep. but don't need them. Nope. Um, I'm kind of on cliff. I did give him a hard time about hunting gear, but I would probably buy a 12 gauge um SB. like uh for like uh geese and cr- I want to do crane hunt really bad yeah and Reese is on that group text with us trying to plan all that okay so uh but fishing gear man I don't really I want a two man raft but it's going to take a couple stimmy checks to do that um Maybe I have a, a three-man uh, currently, but I'd like a two-man because a lot of the water I like to fish is skinny. real tight when I do guided trips. So, And I usually just take one client out. I don't have very many trips where I'm taking two people out. I'm going to say a stand-up paddleboard and a Zebco 66. <laughs> hey, you have a lot of fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Did everyone go? I think so. Okay. All right. Uh, next question. Uh... Gabe asks, I'm driving through tonight and can drop booze and pick up leftovers. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> hey, Gabe. Hey. That, was really, that was real. Oh, oh. oh okay. <laughs> um, and uh, someone asked, what do you think about the controversy ethics of competitive predator hunting? Oh, I'm for it. Why? Or I'm not for the controversy, but I think predator, like uh, – I think predator hunting has its place. Like I said, two minutes ago, I but want to build. I don't think he's. I think competitive predator hunting is the specific controversy. It, it's still, it's still predator hunting. No, it's coyotes mainly and wolves. Coyotes and mountain lions and so bobcats. In, in Texas, there is a coyote competition uh, hosted, I believe, out of San Angelo. And it's for the entire state of Texas, and you meet back in San Angelo for the grading and all that other stuff. But you can start anywhere in the state um, for the, I think it's a day, two-day hunt. I think it's a 48-hour hunt. Have you guys seen that guy? Sorry, I'll sign up. But he caught a coyote, trained it, and now he uses that coyote to kill other coyotes. Yeah, it's called a Judas... Cody and some people <laughs> what yeah and some people there's videos it's more than one guy yeah it's a thing oh man <laughs> I haven't I haven't I haven't heard it with uh coyotes necessarily being trained to do it mm-hmm. 
But I have do know there are people who train dogs to go out there and run down coyotes and yeah. get the coyote fixated on the dog. And they're normally small dogs, let me mind you. Okay, like it, like Dapple? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not like Dapple because he has short legs too, but like That's a Chihuahua true. or something, yeah. like a, a medium, small to medium-sized dogs. They go out there, get the coyote to come back, or to, like, get on the dog, like, it's chasing it down. The dog runs back to the hunter, and then the hunter just pops the coyote. Hmm. There's YouTube videos. I'm going to refrain from what I think it is, but. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's, like, this guy on Instagram. He posts pictures, like, his, like, trained coyote sitting in the back of his truck, and he, like, watching over the, like, 12 dead coyotes in front of him. Like, but, but to get back to the question at hand, I don't see anything wrong with it as long as like there's a sustainable population, which for coyotes there's one hundred percent is. Yeah, in some of these states where they I don't think that they have competitions for wolves, like competitive wolf hunting, but as soon as the population gets there, I'm all for it. Because it's a it's a surplus population. That's if you read Coyote America, they say there's a coyote den from within two miles of every single person in the United States. They are prolific. And the more and more that there are, that means the more and more that are going to starve because there's not enough food for them yeah. around. Well, they're doing okay. Or the more and more other species get harmed from it, such as chasing down deer and everything. It's, true. it's been a couple of weeks since a good Cliff versus Zach uh, devil's advocate thing. So I'm going to play the other side. Uh, I'm actually not like, for me personally, I don't like to predator hunt. I don't see the purpose of it. I only like to shoot and kill things I know I'm going to eat. Um, it, it's population control. I'm, I, but even then, like, uh, you know me. You know how I fall on that side, too. Like, yeah. realistically, coyotes, yes, they do affect livestock every now and then, right? Like, you talk to a farmer, they will lose maybe one a year to a year to, to a coyote or something. Yeah, but that could be two thousand dollars plus out it of could, that farmer's right. property. And I totally get that. And that's why I'm saying, like, other people who want to do it, that's their thing, right? But for me, I'm not about predator hunting because I really do not like killing anything that I'm not going to eat because I don't see the purpose of it. See, I see it as population control. So, Zach, is this a thing that you just personally don't want to do, and but you don't care if other people do it? That's pretty much where I fall. So like, you're not going to be like, you're not taking the charge against... Uh, no, like, I'm not... So, I'm not that passionate. Like, if I'm if we're out hunting and you guys want to kill a coyote or something like that, like, I'm 100%, like, not going to say anything. And, like, I'm here to support you, right? But that's not me. Like, even if I'm out hunting and I see a coyote, like, realistically, I'm probably going to watch it and observe it before I would pull the trigger. Just because, like, yeah. for me, like, yes, you say population control, but, like, realistically, our ecosystem is pretty stable. Like, the coyote's aren't having that huge of an impact on it. There's plenty of hogs out there they can eat. There's plenty of rabbits. There's plenty of other thing else, but without us having to get involved. I feel like uh, I feel like we line up more than you think. Oh, for sure. I'm not so I'm not gonna downtrod someone who's doing it competitively. I'm not a I don't wanna get I don't want to make hunting a competitive sport for me because that's what happened. I used to play golf all the time and as soon as I got like on teams and stuff like that, it sucked the fun out. So I don't think I would ever do it competitively because I don't want the fun to go away. I yeah. want to keep it fun and lighthearted and stuff. 
I will compete against me. I will compete against my friends. I will also be happy for my friends when they succeed. Like if Landon had shot a bigger hog than me, I would have been happy for him. Right. Um, but I don't want to get into it where it's like, I'm doing this just for the prize money for type sure. thing. But I'm not going to tell someone else they can't. And I would probably go up to the place where they do it just to see them come in, and I would support all those guys. Yeah. But I, I like predator hunting. I think it's fun. I think that the purpose of it is population control. Uh, it is considered a nuisance animal. Cliff, would you eat any predators? Well, technically, hogs are predators. Not hogs. Would you eat a coyote? I probably wouldn't eat a coyote. Yeah. Bobcat? I would eat a bobcat. I see. Now that, I'd probably try a bobcat. And if I didn't like it, though, I wouldn't go out to kill anymore. Uh, same thing with a mountain lion. I I don't have an urge to kill a mountain lion or a bear, but I I would like to try the meat at some point. And if I liked it, and it was sustainable and ethical. Bear, I hear black bear is. Very good. Same thing with mountain lion. Um, uh, I met Black bear, mountain lion, and bobcats are all on my list of things I want to eat. I also think, though, for me, coyotes look really similar to dogs. and That's why I wouldn't eat it. It's tough for me to shoot something that looks like my dog. Mm. That's what's weird for me. Same thing, like, I would never really want to shoot a wolf or a fox. You know, any of those things, like, I kind of just, like, let them be. Hey, Reese, do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? Uh... I, I always have my opinion. Um, I'm the kind of guy that usually keeps them to himself. Um, okay, so that's fine. I'm, I'm in a firm belief is if it's the law, you know, you have the right to do what you want. Um, so it's law to hunt them. You know, most states are, you know, you can hunt them all year at night over bait. Uh, I believe they are a nuisance and they need to be controlled especially here in Georgia. I mean, I've seen, I've seen them downtown Atlanta. I mean, that should tell you one thing. I mean, there, there doesn't need to be coyotes in downtown Atlanta or, you know, highly populated areas like that. Um, so, and with the way you hunt it, like we said, most people don't hunt predators. Um, I personally don't, if I'm hunting in a, for deer and, you know, a coyote comes by, I'm going to, I'm going to take that coyote out. Um, I've recently read some reports on the devastation that coyotes do to, you know, fawns, uh, newborn deer, fawns, uh, turkey nests, and they're doing they're doing some pretty big damage here in the South. So, I mean, I, you're not going to see a tear shed for me about you know a coyote, and you know if someone wants to go win some money, you know, cool. That's that's not my thing, but you know, go for it. Mm-mm. Thanks for sharing, Reese. No, I, I, I agree with and, you. And I, I agree with and, you one hundred percent, Reese. I mean, to me, I mean, what's the difference between you know me joining a competition to kill coyotes and me joining a bass fishing tournament to uh, you know catch a bunch of ripping lips? You know, I get you're point. not necessarily killing the you're not necessarily killing the bass, but I mean, you're, it's competitive. You're getting you're you're doing it for a prize. Yeah, hey, for um, me, for me, it's not the competitive side of it. For me, it's the killing something I'm not going to eat. That's where I fall on it. But like for like with a bass tournament, sometimes they kill the fish, but most of them they don't. You know, I mean, I guess I guess where I draw draw the line on that is if you're going out there killing it and you know taking you know a bunch of pictures for Instagram to you know look like you know some killer like that's that's a separate issue. But if you're going out there and you're trying to you know manage your land, you know take care of your deer herd, take care of your turkey population. And you're trying to, you know, keep a healthy balance there. Then if you have, you know, a population issue or, you know, you know, maybe some herds have diseases or whatnot, and that's your case, 
you know, go for it. But, you know, if you're going out there just to kill to, you know, post photos on Instagram and, you know, like that, then I, I think that's that's where you got to draw the line. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you, Reese. All right. Last question from Pretty Fly for a White Guide. Okay. <laughs> uh, where are the white bass running? Is that like the where the white women at? I don't know about that. Um, You've never heard that movie quote? No. No, I haven't. Um, but uh, without, I mean, without hot spotting, I know white bass run on the Nueces River. Colorado. Mm-hmm. Colorado. I know they land on, run on the Lano. I know they ran on the San Gabriel. The only white bass I've ever caught has been the Upper Guad. Well, they're not supposed to be. <laughs> well, are we? We're still. I'm still. No, gonna bring we're this not up. talking about my striper. We're talking about the white bass. <laughs> I literally have a picture of, and I will show you guys that picture. Wait, I thought you didn't have a picture. That was the. Whole I don't dilemma. have a picture of the striper. I have a picture of the white bass. Okay, Zach's gonna pull it out. I have never seen this picture. I Maybe the this white, will put the argument to rest. I caught the white bass with Zach uh, during real recovery one year. Harris. Yeah. Mm. Did Zach Harris confirm? Yeah, he took the picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> so hopefully he confirms. Wait, so is that different than the striper? This is different. To- oh. Totally different. Okay. I was mixing the stories up. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. And I will say, I will I will give this for the striper story. It is either a striper, there is a small chance it might be a hybrid. It is definitely not a white bass, but it is definitely either striper or a hybrid. But there's no picture? I don't have a picture, no. Yeah, yeah. No. Because I was dumb. I didn't know what fish was. And I was like, oh, that's a guad. I'm not. I'm going to catch these all day. And then I caught a guad and was like, that was a striper. <laughs> so, not great. Well, keep going. I'm going to look for this. Yeah, fish I know. Uh, yeah, there's just a – you can catch them on the Perdinalis River. I mean, <clears throat> basically, white bass run out of lakes. They're a deep water lake fish. In the spring, they spawn in the rivers. They run up the rivers. They do their thing, and they come back down. Um, I think water temperature has a lot to do with when they actually run. As things warm up, there's like a certain level that's good, and then they run up the river. Um, so they the run typically starts south and runs north as time goes by. So the further north you get, the later the white bass run is. But... Um, you know, like anything fishing, nothing is a guarantee. I'm just speaking that as a general as a general thing. I've heard from a lot of people that do a lot of white bass fishing. But they come up in the rivers and they spawn. They like to spawn on sand beds. Um, and so if you can find a place that's upstream from a lake that's pretty sandy, then you're probably going to find some white bass if you're there at the time the run is going on. And the limit is 25 fish per person per day. And uh, it's great fun if you can hit the spawn on the right day. You catch fish almost every other cast. Um, I think me and Will fished the white bass run last year. I just finished off eating the meat from last year, like a week ago. Um, And we kept 25 fish each, but I probably caught 60 fish. Yeah. Hey, so uh, clarify this for me. Is that white bass? It's really little. It's hard to tell. It's not developed. <laughs> I think it's a white bass. Yeah. I think you need to put that 
It was a movie quote from Blazing Saddles. There you go. Put it on Instagram. Be like, hey, is this a white bass? There we go. Okay, that's going on honey hole right now. I just want to say. We'll do it tomorrow. I posted today. I just want to say that that quote was from Blazing Saddles, by the way. Okay. Not a Cliff Coward original. <laughs> Movie that totally holds up. <laughs> <laughs> Very true in this day and age. There we go. <laughs> but it is a solid movie. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. It yes. is a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's do a close conservation corner. That sounds great. Wait, before we do that, <laughs> yeah, what's Zach up? has a story to tell. Oh, yeah, the rude lady. Okay. So it's St. Patty's Day. The rude lady of San Antonio. <laughs> rude lady of San Antonio. If you listen to this, Is you this should... your creature watch? No. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she so... was a witch of some Wow. Sort. My, my... Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's the real donkey lady. <laughs> oh, man. No, so, okay. So, you know, it's St. Patty's Day. We're going to... A restaurant that happens to be like an Irish-themed restaurant. I know it's going to be crowded, so we get there. There's one table open. And I go to it, and I literally set my hand on the table. It's like a picnic bench, right? That's how they do their outside seating. I literally have my hand on the table. I am still standing, and I turn to talk to the waitress to ask her a question. While I'm turned, my hand has never left the table, mind you. This lady runs from the other side of the outdoor area and takes off her purse, throws it on the table and sits down super fast. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I sit down and I'm like, uh, hey, so did you have this table reserved? And she's like, nope. And I'm like, well, like I was here first. Like, you know, like this is technically my table. She was like, ooh, well, like I sat down first. And I, <laughs> I, literally, I looked her dead in the eye and I said, you've got to be f***ing me i said no i was like do you know the rule i was like i was here first that makes this my table she was like i don't know what to do i'm sorry and i was like i was like stewing because like i was so freaking mad i sat there and i was like well how many people do you have she's like we have eight people coming and i'm like well i was like well, when, my, when my wife gets here i was like we're just gonna join you we're gonna sit here and we're gonna have a good old time I was like, is that okay with you and she was like i guess big old family dinner right Oh, man, I was so mad. Then you put your meal on their ticket, too. I should have done that. But, like, we're with them. Yeah. No, we're all eating together. I sat there, you know, pissed <laughs> off. You ain't got this, Dad. I was <laughs> <laughs> pissed off. Texting Kendall, but the horrible person at the table with me. Said, hey, dinner's going to be great. And then, um, but luckily, the couple and the table next was got up, and I was like, hey, can I snag your seat? I ate So at, I didn't move. I, I did. I caved in. I got breakfast at a really good Irish place this morning. What place? McDonald's. (laughs) 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 I think the two telephone guys aren't laughing at that. Uh. They're on mute. They're probably laughing. They're laughing, Cliff. All right, you ready for C4? C4. All right, here we go, guys. Reese, you there? Yeah, I'm here, fellas. All right. You're worse than Ian, and you're sitting at the table. You can hear it. You, you can't even wait for your for your audio. Look, clip. I, don't, I don't care about that. I care about my friends. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Zebra mussels detected in Medina Lake and Lake Placid designated as infested. That's infested, pretty sad. Infested, infested, infested. Did you like that echo? I did. It was a good little effect. It's too bad uh, okay. the board didn't do it. <laughs> 
All right, so this is an article coming straight from TPWD, released the 16th, so yesterday of March, by the way, 2021, by the way. (laughs) Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, Department has detected an invasive uh, zebra mussels at Medina Lake and Lake Placid will be reclassified as fully infested. Infested status... Infested status signifies that there is now evidence of an established reproducing population of zebra mussels in the lake. The detection in Lake Medina was located near Bandera, marks the first introduction of of invasive zebra mussels in the San Antonio River Basin. Uh, On February 11th, a member of the public submitted a report with a photo to the TPWD of zebra mussels located at a boat ramp near the mouth of Habe's Cove. Shortly after the winter storms, TPWD staff conducted searches at the site where the original mussel was found and near Red Cove Marina, biologist... Located uh, two zebra mussels attached to rocks along the shoreline near the site where the first mussel was discovered. Uh, Bandera County River Authority and uh, Groundwater District uh, conducted a search uh, and located a single zebra mussel attached to a settlement sampler at a dock approximately three miles upstream from the first location where the zebra mussels were detected. So the idea, I guess, with it being right next to the boat ramp is it definitely was a boat that brought them in there? Probably. Did you guys see the guy who had a zebra, who found zebra muscle, mussels in his aquarium this past week? I mean, he must have took something from somewhere. Yeah, I think he took some moss or like one of the plants or something and put it in his aquarium, and that's how he got there. Sucks to suck. Right. Uh, <laughs> Medina Lake was positive for zebra mussels, which means there have been multiple detections, for, but evidence of a reproducing population has yet been discovered. Plankton sampling of zebra mussels, uh, zebra mussel larvae will take place in May and June when they begin spawning. Surveys will continue to determine if an established reproducing population is already present or monitor its development. It is the first distinction of zebra mussels in the San Antonio River Basin and could result not only in impacts uh, on infrastructure, boats, and other property, but also in downstream spread within the basin introductions by boats moving from Medina Lakes to other nearby lakes, said Monica McGurdy of TPWD Senior Scientist for Aquatic Invasive Species. Finding zebra mussels in a new river basin unfortunately means they must have been transported there by boats, barges, and other equipment that didn't take appropriate precautions to prevent the spread. The vigilance of all boaters and anglers is needed to stop or slow any the further spread of zebra mussels in Texas lakes. So now we move on to Lake Placid. Lake Placid, located near Seguin in the Guadalupe River Basin, was previously designated as positive for zebra mussels, but is now upgraded to fully inspired. infected status. In May 2019, zebra mussel larvae and a single single adult were detected at Lake Placid, but biologists had not yet found evidence of an established reproducing population in the lake. However, in early February 2021, 
during a routine maintenance activities on the Lake Placid Dam. Guadalupe Blanco River Authority employees discovered a population of adult zebra mussels in the hydroelectric turbine near the bottom of the dam. Numerous mussels of different size classes were found, indicating the presence of an established reproducing population. TPWD is encouraging all boaters and homeowners on Medina Lake and Lake Placid to keep an eye out for settled zebra mussels on shorelines, rocks, uh, and structures or boats stored in the water and repeat any report any sus- suspected organisms with photos to aquaticinvasives at tpwd.texas.gov. Uh, zebra mussels grow approximately one to one and a half inches in length and have a triangular, typically striped down tan, striped brown slash tan lines. That's interesting. So <clears throat> I was looking at pictures of them. It's crazy. They, they don't get very big, but they cluster like crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I'm not sure exactly where they're from, but they are. I invasive. think somewhere in Asia. I think so. I think, uh. I think it just said Asia. Jamie, will you look that up for us? Yeah, Gabe. <laughs> it's nice to have a Jamie back. I know. Is, Too right? bad our regular Jamie quit on us. <laughs> Dang. Um, Which he still listens, so I want to give him some. Oh, right, there you go. Yeah, hey. <laughs> um, Dude, he doesn't listen anymore after that. <laughs> <laughs> so the zebra mussels, what exactly do they do, Cliff? Do they get in... Do they eat the vegetation, and that's what the problem is? I think that's what it is. It just makes it hard for other native fish species to survive. Yeah, and spawn and have protection and stuff like that. And do their stuff. So zebra mussels. I've seen these. You you wrote an you <laughs> did an article and you hadn't seen a picture of them until now. No. Um. <laughs> They're also in Lake Travis, by the way. Yeah. Uh, originally native to Russia and the Ukraine. Oh, okay. Um, accidentally introduced to other areas to become invasive species since 1980s. Uh, invaded the Great Lake, Hudson River, and Lake Travis. That's from Wikipedia, so you know you can trust it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. All right, who's up next on patrol? I'll go next. All right, here we go. I got a Florida man story for y'all today. I love Florida man. Is it the one where the guy was uh, using the full size 747 <laughs> as, a as a toy airplane with an excavator? No, it that is not was that. Awesome. But I did, did see that video. I'm sure our listeners would love to be in our group chats daily oh, yeah. to see what kind well, of stuff we send to each other. They got to Patreon. <laughs> 10 bucks a month. Uh, this story is from Patch.com, published on January 4th of this year. By Sky the Lucky. Uh, Polk County, Florida. Three miles. <laughs> I, I was wanting to look up why they're bad. Cliff took the Jamie phone. <laughs> You're not Jamie, Cliff. He can do that. Three Miami suspects have been arrested after a Florida Fish and Wildlife officer was injured after being hit by an ATV driven by a suspected poacher Saturday night. Oh, man. The Florida, I think it's FWC is Florida Wildlife Commission. Okay. Uh, that's what I'm going with. It just says FWC. Um, got a tip about illegal poaching activity at the River Ranch Hunt Club, according to investigators. The officer searched the campground located on 88,000 acres and saw eight two ATVs. He then heard a gunshot. 
Sheriff Grady Judd said. The officer took two shotguns from the three suspects, and this led to an attack on the officer, deputy said. So uh, they get a tip, says, we think there's some poaching going on. Uh, Game warden goes out, finds a couple shotguns, takes them from him, and then they attack him. Um, So it's definitely on purpose. Definitely on purpose. Uh, Michael Amalfi, 45, of Miami, jumped on the officer and started fighting him. According to Judd, another suspect, Rodrigo um, La Rosa, is also accused of attacking the officer. The third suspect was like, uh, I don't want to be involved in this, and got on an ATV and drove away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, I'm out. Um, our officer is hit by the side-by-side ATV, Judd said, and after they beat him up, they beat him and hit him with the side-by-side ATV. They left him uh, an hour deep in the woods, and they didn't even care whether they survived or not. So they beat the officer up two-on-one. Then they ran him over with an ATV, and then they just left him there. Um, after the suspects fled, the officer called for help, and 100 officers from several law enforcement agencies worked to locate the victim uh, Judd said GPS was installed on the officer's truck, which helped agencies find the injured officer. A search warrant allowed them to search a cell phone that was found at the scene that belonged to one of the suspects. This helped lead officers to find where the camp um, they had stayed at. Dang. Sunday morning, law enforcement officials surrounded uh, Amalfi's location and arrested him on multiple charges, including attempted murder of a law enforcement officer. Um, The other guy was arrested on Sunday night. And uh, they say we are relieved the officers are going to be okay, and all three suspects are now in custody. Um, you guys, you guys care to hear the charges that are brought up against the three gentlemen? Hey, give us a couple. Okay, I'll give you the one with the longest lift list: attempted murder of a law enforcement officer, resisting arrest, tampering with evidence, keeping a nuisance. I don't know what that is. Never mind. I'm not going to read that one. <laughs> Unauthorized possession of a crate. And Miami-Dade warrant for grand theft. Dang. So, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I think there's some lessons to be learned from this story. Yes. Number one, don't attack a game warden. No. Don't I think, hit anybody with the ATV. Yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 let's take that back. Maybe you shouldn't attack anyone. No. Especially a game Especially warden. Especially a game warden. And then definitely do not run them over with an ATV. No. That's just rude. And let's start this all off with don't poach to begin with. Uh, yeah. And then the game warden won't be called on you. It's true. So and if the game warden is called on you, just be doing things legally. Yeah. All right. Any neat things? We ready to go? Ian. He's probably on mute. Yeah. All, all right. right. Hey, wait, wait. Remember, you have to time it. <laughs> Before Ian starts, you know what I did last week? I did him a solid. Because there was like, you played the clip. There was a literal five-second gap between when the clip ended. So I could, took the five seconds nice. out to do a it – it sounded seamless. You played the clip, and Ian got right into it like you could actually hear it. Well, hey, Ian, there's no uh, no gap yes. this time. You're, we already pushed that button. You're yeah, ready to go. You're ready to go. Dude, yeah, you also did me a solid last time because I fumbled part of it. So, okay. This is gonna, this is not so this much like a, a story article. Podcast. Dude, yes, it was so solid. I listened to it and I was like, yes. Um, this is very interesting. 
This is basically something that's been going on for a while, but they have found out that a bunch of crows that live in urban areas have high cholesterol from eating fat. Dude. <laughs> oh, man, that's awful. So this is from new science, newscientist.com. City crows may have high cholesterol because they eat fast food, and it shows this crow just eating a burger. Uh, this is a direct quote. Crows living in urban areas have higher blood cholesterol than their rural counterparts, which they believe is due to fast food. Um Andrea Townsend at Hamilton College in New York said crows are experts at raiding human trash cans and dumpsters and some of the food they scavenge is fast food, which has high cholesterol, but it's unclear how this is affecting the bird's overall health. They measured blood samples in 140 crow nestlings, uh, in rural and suburban areas in California. And they also measured the birds' body mass and fat reserves and tracked their survival rates. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, they ran a cheeseburger supplementation experiment where they left McDonald's cheeseburger near nests in rural New York. Uh, did it eat the cheeseburger? Yep, they did. Oh, and so basically they're, good for they have figured out that these crows have higher cholesterol, <laughs> but they're not sure how that affects their lifespan long term. It makes me wonder um, how high cholesterol is in like pigeons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or they don't think it seemed to hurt the crows at this point, but, you know, given these studies take years, they're not sure. But this has been going on everywhere, man. Like, they're just chomping down on, like, Fries number three. I wonder how the researcher yeah. got the grant for that. It's like, he was yeah. he was sitting at a park bench eating McDonald's, and then all of a sudden he's like, mm, I'm not going to finish it. Left it on the table, a crow rolled in. It's like, hmm, I know I could get some research money. I bet they have high cholesterol. Right. Let's find out. They got high cholesterol. So, yeah, what's interesting is they don't say how it affects them long term because obviously I don't think it's ever been studied. I mean, plus, um, what happens? I cross every day. You know, it's not this, it's a dog or something else just they're, killing it. I've never seen like a. A bird ran into I don't know. I guess they're getting bigger. They have bigger body mass from eating McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Maybe it makes them all delusional. I had a bird fly into my window the other day. On one of those things. Thank you, Ian. That was a great article. You're only yeah. eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're probably camping out next to, like, a park bench, and they're just like, dude, McDonald's oh, for they life. they know it's free food. So, like, oh, yeah. they, you know, yeah. animal, animals don't think like that. They're just like, what no. is free, easy? What what can I eat that will expend the least amount of calories for me? Should I? Yes. Yeah. So, well, Ian, that was pretty neat. That was pretty neat. Are right, you guys ready? Yeah, we're ready. All right, guys. I have a St. Patrick's Day edition of Creature Watch for you guys. So, I am bringing you the history of the leprechaun. I'm a little upset you didn't do the puka. The puka? I'm allowed to do the puka. Kendall says it's too scary for her house. So, couldn't even look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. As we all know, the leprechaun is the beloved uh, uh, you know, story of Irish folklore. Right? Uh 
people actually consider it a member of the fairy family. Did you guys know that? Mm-mm. Yeah, me neither. I had no clue. They first emerged in what century? Ooh, this is a hard one. I bet Reese knows. Reese, uh, what would you guess for the century that leprechauns were first talked about? I'm sorry. So, when would you guess leprechauns were first found? When, when they first existed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm just spitballing, just throwing numbers out there, Cotton. But um, maybe like 1100 <laughs> AD or something like 1100 that. 1100 AD. I'll take it. Okay, uh, Cliff, what do you think? I think it comes from like the 8th century, so I'm going to say the 700s. Okay. Is that, is that AD or, yeah, or BC? <laughs> AD. There's cave drawings of leprechauns. <laughs> AD. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go... He said 1100? Cliff said 8th century. I'm going to go 1200. Okay. Ian, what do you think? Man, let's go with like fourteen sixty. Fourteen sixty. I like the specific specificity. Very, very specific there. Hey, Gabe, throw out a number on your hands. It'll fit on two hands. Five thousand. Five hundred. Yeah. Five thousand. Five thousand. It's a futuristic animal. Actually, Cliff, you had it right on the money. Eighth century. Wow, Cliff, look at you. I know. To Uh, be fair, I did go to Ireland, and we had like a folklore dinner where they went through all of this. You tell me you you cheated? No. I was was just about to ask Cliff, didn't you you take some college trip to the homeland there? I did. Back as my senior year, I actually got to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. They gave you college credit for that to go over there and... Party on St. Patrick's Party Day? Party on St. Patrick's yes, Day? Yes, they did. That's, <laughs> that's what they're doing. That's I what got, those wolves are for. Yeah. I got to go to Trinity College and see the Books of Kells. I missed out on the Blarmy Stone. You were hung um, over? I can't even do that anymore. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a degree, a.k.a. certificate, from the Guinness, Guinness Factory, where I had poured the perfect pint of Guinness. That's nice. Um, I hear that's pretty hard. Met with a bunch is that, of... Is that on your resume, Cliff? Yes. I put that on my resume. <laughs> met with a bunch of business owners. Reese, in, in the special skills section <laughs> of the resume. Met with a bunch of business owners in Ireland and then went up to North Ireland to Belfast and got a tour of the Michelin factory there. Very cool. Mm. That's pretty sweet, man. So, like I said, first emerged in the 8th century... Uh, when stories of these tiny water dwellers emerged uh, among the Celts, or I guess it's Celts, you know. I don't know. I think it's Celtic. Celts. Right. Uh, They speak Gaelic. Yes. They still speak Gaelic to this day. So the name language of Ireland. <laughs> the name comes from. Is this uh, your? Is this your story or is this Zach's story? This is, I, you know what, Cliff? Remember felt? that time that Cliff was googling it and reading your story as <laughs> you were reading? I know. I do my research, write it down, make it entertaining. <laughs> oh, it's right here. I know what the answer is. <laughs> you just read Wikipedia, didn't uh, well, you? <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I do love like the Irish culture. It is cool. Like, for, right? for a long time, like if I was going to move out of the United States, Ireland is where I'd go. There you go. Uh, so the name comes from uh, Lucrepon, meaning small body. As we know, they're two to three feet tall. Uh, they live in tiny caves and tree tru- trunks. Uh, they were the cobblers of the fairy world. So all the other fairies, their shoes came from leprechauns. 
Yeah. So, you know, the fascination with shoes. Exactly. Right. So that's, you know, they're out there helping the people of the world or the fairies of the world. Um, and their one of their other names was the Leith Brogan, meaning shoemaker. Uh, that's how they actually earned their gold was they would upcharge making shoes for fairies and get other, get all their gold that way. They also call them the little ones or the, the wee ones. ones or the wee ones. Uh, so everybody has their stories of leprechauns, but Ireland really ran with this belief in them. And that's kind of why uh, we associate leprechauns with Irish culture and Ireland in general. Um we always think of them as old men wearing these green, you know, suits, smoking a pipe. A lot of times they're old with, like, a big white beard uh, with, like, little gold tasseled shoes or whatever. Um, but they used to be associated as a red color. But over time, because uh, they became green, uh, I may believe it was because we called Ireland the Emerald Isle. So, kind of what we associate with green. Uh, there are no lady leprechauns, so whenever they think about how they procreate, people are kind of dumbfounded. They don't really know. They think maybe they just steal babies and turn them into leprechauns. Who knows? But That's an interesting theory. Right? It's actually my theory. I didn't read that anywhere. Oh, did you not? Is it, is it true that leprechauns occasionally make it to the college football playoffs and they get smashed by an SEC power? <laughs> Every year or so. <laughs> Cliff just opened his gun safe, and now we're, like, all looking at him in awe. He's busting out folders. Do you have, like, a secret folder about leprechauns, man, that you're not just not telling us He's about? He's pulling out his pot of gold. Cliff, <laughs> <laughs> you're the leprechaun. Hey, Cliff, Cliff is, your, is your burner on X phone in that gun safe? Yes, my burner on X phone is in the gun safe. <laughs> Guys, this it's podcast burner is on off, X phone. This podcast is off the rails. <laughs> All right, we're gonna keep going. So they are known tricksters, guys. Um, they're known to deceive humans, and they also serve as a warning against greed. And they do this by placing their pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is physically impossible for a human to make it to. You can't go to the end of the rainbow. That doesn't doesn't exist. That's a shamrock lapel pin straight from Ireland. Did you steal that from the leprechaun? Yes. Wow. Dang. Thank you. This is a great gift, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have some other. It's a great gift. I'm going to wear this. Gosh, you're so generous. <laughs> We're going to sprinkle in this randomness within my creature watch. Uh, so some people. Um, so the whole idea of the leprechauns is they lure people people in and then they pretend to be captured right they're like oh no you got me and then once you capture them they give you three wishes but the thing is though those three wishes do you guys think the three wishes <laughs> hey guys do you guys think the three wishes are real they're not they're real they're cruel like three wishes like with a genie yeah you get three wishes if you capture a leprechaun <laughs> well that's how the movie leprechaun Right, like the with old Jennifer 90, Aniston. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which if you haven't seen it, it's a great B horror it, movie. It is. You should watch it and learn what to do if you capture a leprechaun. So what you're saying with the, with the wishes is you wish for something, but it's actually like the worst possible form of right. the wish. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you ask for a bunch of money and then you get like a whole bunch of chocolate coins. Mm. You know, maybe their chocolate coins are rotted. I don't know. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't make a very good leprechaun. So... 
sounds sometimes when you walk through the woods, it sounds like something's tapping, right? Like little leprechauns are dancing along the trees off in the woods. They also dance to Irish music out there as well. So if you're walking through the woods and you're hearing some Celtic music and some tapping sounds, I'd just run. You know, we never know what you're going to run into. Which there is a video of me when I was in Ireland Listening? somewhere uh, dancing to Irish music, <laughs> like doing like river dancing on a stage. Guys, all I'm hearing is Cliff is a leprechaun. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Find that video. We're putting it on Instagram. If I can find it, I don't know where it'd be. Uh, Wait, so like you river dance? <laughs> yes. Dude, I, I would pay to see yes. that. <laughs> yes. People search for these fairies all over the world. Um, they're thinking that they can actually trick them into getting their three wishes, but the leprechauns got that on you guys. Uh, so the next time you go out and you hear tapping in the woods, prepare yourself. You may just have to beat the three wishes of the leprechaun. So, there you go. Hey, he's earned a certificate. Good hey. job, Cliff. Man, you're really clean cut in this picture. Yeah, right? What happened there? You used to be. Used to be. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. From now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at Cox, cox.com slash contour. Thank you, Zach. You Sorry hey, for also, the interruptions. Hey, uh, bonus fact, um, why do we pinch people who aren't wearing green? I don't know that one. Because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, because the old uh, tale was leprechauns couldn't see green, so it made you invisible if you wore them. And they go around pinching people who weren't wearing green because they could see them. So mm-hmm. that's why we wear green, to not get pinched by leprechauns. Gotcha. Speaking of which, Cliff, I don't see any green on you, bud. Oh, I'm going to pinch the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. And also, that's not a thing in Ireland. They don't do that. We do it here. We're not in Ireland. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> Cultural appropriation. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, Reese, are you ready? <laughs> ready, Freddy. Okay. That's a loaded question, man. I know. Tonight. I know. Tonight has been off the rails, so we'll see. Uh, uh, so, Reese, uh, who do you guide for in Atlanta, and then what rivers are you on, and what are you fishing for? So, I know I just gave you, like, three questions in one, but uh, kind of, like, break down what you do, where you work, um, 
or if you work for yourself or kind of how all that's laid out. Then we got to do our two questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here in Georgia, it's, it's a little bit tough, uh, starting out as a guide. Uh, you got kind of three main bodies of water here that most of your trout fishing is going to take place on as far as, you know, being a guide on. And that's the, that's the Chattahoochee river tailwater. That's the river that flows through Atlanta down through Alabama and comes out in the Gulf there down Florida. Um, so you got the Chattahoochee tailwater there that we fish about, and I'm sorry, that's what, that's what the river through Atlanta guide service, uh, owner, Chris Scally, he's been on the water since, um, the early nineties and the Chattahoochee is a pretty special tailwater as in, and, um, it's one of four rivers in the entire world that has a self-sustaining trout population that runs through a city of a million and more people. Um, so that's, a that, that alone in itself is that makes that river pretty special. Uh, the brown trout are the target species in that river. Um, all the browns are going to be completely native wild um, streambred trout. And they're going to range anywhere in size, probably from, you know, two, three, four inches on up to eight, 12, 14. And yes, uh, they do get up in the 20 pound uh uh, limit size there as the state record does come from the Chattahoochee tailwater coming in, I think just slightly over 21 pounds there. Um, so there, there are some monsters in that river. There are a few and far in between, but they are there. And, um, that's what we like to go after is those, uh, wild Brown, the, the local, the state, uh, wildlife resource division does stock, uh, uh, millions of rainbow in that stream each year, but, the rainbow are not really native to the stream and will probably most likely, I'd say probably over 90% of them will end up dying over that year. There will be a couple holdovers, but um, they're the, just the between pressure, water temperatures, the most of the stock fish are going to die. But so that's a, that's one river and body of water that we fish. Um, another stream is the Tacoa river. That's going to hill from the Blue Ridge, Georgia area. Blue Ridge is actually a city up in the, northeast region of the state not to get confused with the blue ridge mountains even though it does lie in that part but blue ridge georgia is actually a uh, town up in the northeast area um and is also a tell water um and i got with will taylor with fly shop co up there so we do wading and float trips on there once again that stream offers um brown trout brook trout and rainbow trout um most the uh, rent rainbow and brook trout are once again going to be stock fish um by the dnr there um but it's a that's probably one of my favorite rivers to fish as you do get that western feel mountains scenery wildlife there um so that that it is a beautiful uh river there it can be tough you know late summer when there hasn't been a lot of rain low rivers um water can get pretty skinny really quick but there's a lot of great fish there and then a third body of water i guide on is the sequoia river um up in clarksville georgia um that river however is about 95 percent privately owned and is operated by a series of different outfitters on different stretches of the river there are a couple of small public sections there that you can get access to, but that river is mostly going to be 95% owned by public landowners and operated by um, outfitters there. So those are the three main bodies of water there, and each offers its own challenge. And um, 
that will definitely present challenges to uh, the new begin uh, angler to that advanced guy as well. Mm. It's it's technically the high water mark. So it is actually subject to debate, but yes, high water mark is what's generally interpreted. <laughs> yeah, be. and go go ahead, Cliff. So in in Georgia, I don't remember because I had just pretty much started fly fishing before I moved here with you, and we always fished pretty much public waters. Um, but what's the the law regarding like private water, like the uh, is that does the landowner own the riverbed and the high water mark? So if you're like floating down the river, that's a no go. Or can you touch the river bottom and whatnot? Because you've also fished Colorado too, where it's like you can't drop anchor. Yeah, and I guess you got, you just always got to defer to your state and local laws there. As far as uh, in regards to the Sequoia River it goes the sequoia river is deemed an unnavigable river so since it is uh unnavigable by boat um the landowner does own the bottom of the river meaning that therefore you can't fish it um so that's that's at and um if you don't know georgia just and i'm not trying to be rude here just i mean if you if just put it this way if it was your land you wouldn't want somebody coming in and trying to sneak a, you know, sneak a cast in on your land. So um, I would just urge on respect of that. And if you want to go fish that, either, you know, book book with one of the outfitters or go check out the public section. Um, I mean, people they they take pride over their fish down here. Um, and you know, like I said, being a landowner, you you don't want people trespassing. Um, and I would just say, put yourself in those people's shoes. But as far as like you know, the Chattahoochee River goes, it is a high water mark. That being said, that river does run through you know sections of Atlanta where there are multi-million dollar houses on the river. So it's not like I could just you know pull up and drop anchor right on you know their backyard. And likewise on the Taco River, you know there's multi-million dollar cabins sitting right on the river. I can drop anchor in the middle of the stream, but I can't pull my boat over and you know get out on their property and fish from the bank. So. Uh, those are just things you got to be aware of when you go fish wherever you are, whether that's out west or, you know, in any state. It's just being aware the regulations there. Um, they all vary. So, Reese, there's um, <clears throat> two questions we ask every guest. Um, the first one would be, how did you get into fly fishing? Oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question there. And to uh, completely answer that question, I'm going to have to back up to where I began with just where did I begin fishing? I didn't really grow up in a family of outdoorsmen, fishermen, or hunting. I just, I mean, all I can remember is one day I looked at dad and was like, hey, I want to go fishing. Hey, I want to go hunting. But my dad never grew up fishing or hunting, but I had a pretty sweet dad. And even though he didn't know anything about hunting or fishing or where to go or what to do, um, he made a good effort of getting in contact with, you know, friends that knew stuff about it. And they kind of got us going. And so I remember those, 
first little years of, you know, being an eight, nine, 10 year old trying to figure it out, it was mostly that figuring it out, not catching a whole lot of fish, not knowing what we're doing. Um, but then when I was about 11, my parents ended up splitting and I remember it being a really tough time in my life, just, you know, really confused, really angry, started struggling in school, getting really defiant. And, uh, one of my bad friends, and a lifelong mentor of mine, uh, Mr. Terry Connor, um, he just called me up one day and uh, said, hey, let's go fishing. And I remember that day I was I was sitting inside in the living room, just sitting on the couch. Just not, I mean, TV wasn't on. I was just sitting there by myself, just really honestly miserable. But I got a phone call from him and, you know, he said, I'm coming. I'm going to be there in 30 minutes. And he came and picked me up and we hopped in his little pickup and drove up to uh, northeast Georgia, the little wildlife management area. And. Um, he, and we just fished. I mean, it was very, it's what I needed at that moment in my life. And just a break from, I guess, just the struggles of life at that moment. And he took me to a very beautiful place. And, you know, we did catch fish that day, but it's not, it's not the fish that I remember that we called about that day. I just remember a man who took the time to spend with me, to invest with me, to say, it's going to be okay. This sucks, but it's going to be okay. And he shared a lifelong passion of his with me. And from that moment forward, I couldn't put down a fishing rod, man. Mm. And it was, it was never, it has never been about catching a fish for me. It has been the therapeutic release of being out in nature and I always tell people when I hit that river, when that truck pulls in the park in that little gravel spot and I can, and I open that car door and I hear that water running over those rocks and I hear that wind whistling through the trees and I hear that rod tube lid unscrewing and those boot, those wading boots being laced up and that first foot splashing in the water. I mean, that's, that's, that's fishing for me. And I just, I don't know how anywhere else to explain it. It is, it is an emotional release for me. And I've just, I don't ever see myself putting it down. And when I take clients or teach a friend or anybody else fishing, I always tell them we're here not to catch fish. We're here for that emotional release. Yeah, I remember. I remember listening to your podcast. Uh, I guess uh, y'all did that one a couple of weeks back or so, and I think you told it a little bit more vivid than I recall. I think you mentioned something about the. You didn't mention me by name at that moment, but you said something about bashing a fish's head on a rock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, you know what? I have that pitch. I have a little uh, fly fly board here in my little office where I tie flies. Then you're 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 up on that board holding that little fish with that goofy little small ears. <laughs> but good man. That, I mean, that's that's what it's about for me. Um, I don't feel like I like my biggest thing is I don't want to be one of those guides that are out there for the fame or the Instagram photos. Like I'm out there to share my passion with you to teach you new things and hopefully inspire you to pick up that rod, go do it on your own and go put a rod in someone else's hands. So that's, that's what fishing is for me. Um, but what I remember about us getting started was, and I was still somewhat new. Like I said, I've been fly fishing for a while, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And it was us working back in Atlanta and God forbid they had to put an Orvis store a block down from our office. And I don't know how many paychecks went into that store on Fridays, but you and I, we got into it. And I, you know, I think it was you and I and Justin, we went up to the mountains one weekend and um, showed you, I think like a roll cast and all that good stuff, put you in a little hole and you had a couple of bites and then you finally snagged one. and. I do you recall we it? had some trouble. Uh, no, you, no, no. I, I just want to clarify: Did he snag it or did he hook it? <laughs> he, all right, all right. He he hooked it in the lip. It wasn't it wasn't a tail snag. So let me clarify: He did plant put the fly right in the mouth. Um, so, and I remember us trying to net it and us flopping around, like he said. And uh, you were you did have some trouble trying to figure out how to hold it, um, but I don't necessarily recall a fish bashing taking place. But it it may have happened. Uh, it did it did hit the frying pan. Um, that was a good tasty trout. But um, I do what I most remember though is the smile on your face, man. Um, you you had a good time, and I think it wasn't in necessarily you catching the fish, but I think in that moment, you may have realized that aha moment of fishing. Like, we're here in the wilderness, river, bears, buddies. I mean, and I think that's where that smile came from, not necessarily you catching the fish. Those are things you remember forever. Yeah. yeah. It's a story that I'll remember forever. For sure. Reese, what is your most memorable fish on the fly? Oh, that's a good question. Give me give me give me one second. All right. So my most memorable fish, and it's one that got away. Um, but two years ago, me and a couple buddies, we took a van trip out to Colorado for a week. Um, we hit up different streams from uh, the Colorado up in uh, Gale to uh, the Eagle to the Incompadre to the Taylor. And then we our last stop was on the South Flat at the Dreamstream. And we spent a day and a half there. And we, it was pretty successful, but we hit this one pool. I saw a little hatch going off, and I saw a pretty nice fish rising in a um, little eddy there and threw on a little little midge there. and 
first cast, that fish just drilled it, shot upstream to the shoals, circled back down a deep pool. There was, I mean, the water was moving pretty quick too. So it was too deep to get in. I was standing on the bank. There was a log there at a feet. The fish got twisted around the log. Somehow I managed to get the line off the log. Then he shot back up to the shoals, then did a aerial assault and just really displayed like the sheer size of this fish. And I'm just, you know, I'm just giggling like a little kid the whole time this fight's going on. I was like, yes, this is why I came out west and um, managed to get him back close to the bank. But then he got wrapped around the log. I stand there right at my feet. And I mean, I could see him. He's, I mean, he's probably pushing 25 inches there. And my buddy's trying to get the net on him while he's wrapped around the log. But I mean, the water's moving pretty good. It's pretty deep. As soon as you stick the net in, you know, the current's pushing it down. So we could, but the fish eventually just breaks off there and fortunately wasn't able to net, get get him on the net and um get a nice little grip and grin with him but um i just kind of remember that being a pretty special moment just you know kind of walking up through a meadow seeing a rising fish taking out that perfect fly making that cast him smashing it and giving me a pretty good fight so i'd say that was a pretty memorable one mm-hmm. there and plus you know with all my buds being there with me too um, they say it doesn't count, but um, I say it does. Well, it's forever ingrained in your memory, the ones that you lose. So, <laughs> that's, um, that's I mean, I have, like, I, I and I've already told the story on the podcast, but uh, I have one on the San Juan that I lost. It's just like, I remember that more than the fish that I've caught. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, when I think about a fish, I think about that fish. And so, why, why do you think that? Why do you think that is? Like, why oh, is it that man. we remember the fish that get away and not the ones that we? So I'm sitting here, in my I'm sitting here in my office, and like I got pictures of my fish, my friends' fish, a couple clients' fish, and I remember all those moments, and they were special moments. Mm. But when I really think about that question, is it? It really is the fish that I missed the hook set on, or. They just they just got they just got away. Why why is it that those are the fish we remember the most? Oh gosh, that's a good question. It's probably the same reason why you remember all the like. It's easier to remember like bad days than good days, you know. Just in general, you think you think it, you think that's the reason that we keep going back. I don't know. Maybe, uh, but maybe maybe the ones you miss though, kind of uh, ignite something in you. Because like I know for me like. Yeah, but I think like the one that I missed with you, that huge trout that snapped off as it was break, we were bringing him in on the Guadalupe. On the Guad, <laughs> that was a huge trout. It was, <laughs> yes. That's the big one they got away from me. But I think it made me work harder that season, and I caught the ne- literally the next time we went out, I caught my first trout on the Guad. You know, I think that we remember those because they kind of, for lack of a better word, ignite something in us to go out. And try harder and get that fish. And then maybe not that fish, but, um, you know. Plus, you learn something from every, what, I heard this earlier, I forget who said it, but you learn something from every fish you catch, but you learn even more from every fish you don't catch, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you learn, but the things yeah. you, you do wrong, you learn so much more from that. So Yeah. Know. No, I, th- I think that's an interesting question, though. Um Get a psychologist on or something to, <laughs> to actually like <laughs> like, like talk that, that through. It's kind of like as we mentioned on last week's podcast, um, 
A lot. It was a year and a half, right? Two years? What did we decide? Yeah. Well, to me, to me, that's pretty quick. It took, it took me five years actively archery hunting before I harvest my first deer. And I wanted to give up so many times. Like there's, there's so many times I just wanted to throw, throw the bow up, but I stuck to it, but it, it took me the better after four or five years to finally get that deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no telling how many hours I put into it. No. There you go. I I love archery 100%. I mean, I still fly fish. I still fish. But as I've mentioned before, you give me an opportunity to go fish and you give me an opportunity to go hunt. I'm probably taking hunting all day. Mm-hmm. Um, Reese, what, what all types of hunting do you do? Um, I grew up, like I said, um, I wasn't born into a hunting family, so it's something that, I wanted to do my dad and kind of encouraged me and supported me in doing, but grew up deer hunting, uh, got to college. A lot of my buddies duck hunted, so kind of picked that up. Um, and then got into turkey hunting a few years ago, shot my first little Jake last year. And, um, uh, me and my friend, uh, went out and scouted this past weekend and are looking to make the, our opening day hunt this upcoming Saturday here in Georgia first nice little mountain gobbler that we got our eyes on. Um, but I know, uh, one of our coworkers, um, his name's Ian. Um, he, he knows, he knows a little bit about a little, little goblin, but he kind of sparked that in me. Um, just, I don't know. That's some, it was just something new, something different. But last year I remember getting out there and we didn't kill the bird, but we got up and as soon as we opened the car door, we just heard, you know, that shot goblin, um, going on and just that was just something new and it excited something me so right now I've kind of got that itch for some gobblers um, I'll always have a passion for the deer hunting um, I put the rifle up about three years ago and just strictly been archery not a whole lot of success I'll probably maybe get one or two deer a uh, year of my uh, bow um, no, nothing to brag about um, I'm more of a meat guy there you shoot a doe and if you know decent sized buck comes along. That's just, you know, icing on the cake. Um, but I do, and I do enjoy the waterfowl hunting. I didn't, I haven't gotten to do so much of that this past year and a half or so, just, uh, between some family and life stuff, just haven't been able to put the time in on that. But you and I, we, uh, Cliff, you and I got on a, we got to go out, what, to Biggers, Arkansas two years ago. Yeah, and that was my first and, uh, that that was your first hunt. Um, but that was, that was a pretty memorable trip for us, you know, sitting out there, freezing in that pit all day and then you know just that snow hit and the birds started just coming in and if we had shot better we might have had us a six-man limit but we did all right no but we got like a three-man limit between the six of us for sure yeah Yeah, but that's the thing that's the thing where i got to be careful outdoorsman is not measure myself by hey we caught this many fish hey we killed this many ducks hey i killed this big of a deer but that was just, that was a great trip. Um, it was post-college. We hadn't really seen each other. You'd already moved out to Texas. So that was an opportunity for us to get back together, reconnect and, you know, share, you know, uh, similar interests and connect with the outdoors there. So 
that's what I really remember about that trip. Not, yeah, it was an awesome trip. We killed some ducks, but it wasn't about us slaying them. It was about spending time with friends and enjoying outdoors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's half of it. Yeah, it had been a solid minute, man. That, that will be a, a trip I always remember in my life, too. So you got two of them. You're tearing up, Cliff. You're getting, you're getting pretty Reese emotional. Reese is legitimately like one of my better friends. And, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I put, him, I put him on par with, like, you and some others, Landon. We we didn't ask you to rank them. (laughs) (laughs) No, we didn't ask you to rank them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) who's in your Fab Five? For sure. Well, yeah, I appreciate you saying that, man. Hard, good friends are hard to come by, and uh, Cliff's, Cliff's definitely a solid friend um, to me, and I know you guys are all lucky to probably have him in your all's life too. Absolutely. Hey, Reese, was there uh, anything else you wanted to mention where, where we came up on time? Was there anything that you that you wanted to say about you know what you do or your fishery or anything that we didn't cover? Um, I know you said you're kind of getting trapped on time, so this might be a conversation for, you know, a future podcast. Um, but um, I guess really the only thing I want to say is, like, get just get outside. Get out, you know, whether that's hiking, fishing, hunting. You know, I'm, I'm all for utilizing public land, encouraging people to, you know, explore something new, you know, try try something if you've never been you don't always have to pull the trigger on something but i just encourage people to at least give it a try or ask people you know what, what like what is it about hunting or what is it about fishing that why like why do you do it so many people want to turn their nose up to it but like like i mentioned to you before um you know fishing fishing saved my life man um if that if if the people in my life hadn't put a fishing pole in my hand uh, when they did. I, I don't, I can't say I, I would be a whole person right now. I can't say I would be a happy person right now. And it's never been, like I said, about killing, killing a bag limit of ducks or a big buck or, you know, 30 fish days. It's always been about getting outside and connecting with nature. And that's, and if I can put a fishing pole in anybody's hand, whether that's a fly rod, uh, 
a spin tackle or whatever, like, I don't care. Like, do, do you, if it's within, you know, the laws of your state and your streams, like do it. Um, I think too many people get hung up on, um, fly versus, you know, uh, bait casters or whatever. Like that's not what, that's not what the outdoors are about. It's not about a competition. It's not posting pictures of fish. It's, it's about connecting and getting that release in nature. So um, I'll leave it on that note and I'll let you guys wrap it up. Um, but I appreciate y'all having me on tonight. And um, thanks, you know. thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. I, you know, I, you know, it was pretty short notice and uh, I appreciate you being flexible with us. And I really enjoy talking to you. I know, I think I can speak for Zach and Ian. For sure. Definitely Cliff. Cliff has been tearing up this whole time that <laughs> we really enjoyed having you on. This was great. Um, Cliff mentioned about a crane hunt. Man, I've been wanting to shoot some ribeye in the sky for a while and uh, do a hunt. So hopefully if we can make this thing work out um, as a group, man, I'd love to meet you in person and uh, get you on the podcast with a headset and not have to deal with all the – technical difficulties of having you on the phone so Curses yeah absolutely hey, you know, that's a real leprechaun <laughs> what'd you say absolutely Reese? man this, this has been awesome i i haven't been part of podcast four and cliff cliff had told me about it um i just subscribed probably three weeks ago um like i said i mentioned a little woodworking podcast um i mean i do a little woodworking when i'm in the shop i turn on all this podcast and listen to it and I, I really enjoy it. Um, y'all, it feels like y'all don't have, y'all really don't have an agenda and I like the laid backness of it. And it just sounds like some real, <laughs> but, and, and I, and I mean, yeah. that, and I mean that in a good way as from like a listener, like that's what I look for. It's just, you know, some down to earth guys, just, you know, chasing their dreams, their goals and sharing their experiences. And I can relate to that. And that's one of the draws to y'all's podcast. And um, y'all can count on me to, uh, continue to follow y'all and listen to y'all. So I just keep up the good work and keep doing what you're doing, fellas. Hey, that, that means a lot, Reese. Really. Yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you, man. Yeah, that means a ton. Hey, Ian, since we haven't heard from you in a while, uh, you have your closing words of wisdom for tonight? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to kick the ball to Reese, which I think it – yeah, just give it. I don't know. Reese, do you have any words of wisdom? I'm going to punt. <laughs> You're going to punt? Well, I'm going to muff yeah. the punt, and uh, you can scoop and score. <laughs> um, but I'm not a man of words and wisdom. Um, but I think what you said was really important was don't get caught up on the numbers and just focus on getting outside. That's been impactful in my life, and that's how I approach fishing and hunting as well. It's more about the people and the experience than it is. Yeah. Uh, and the, and that's an on and that's an ongoing journey, especially like as a guide, because it's so easy for me to compare myself to other guides. You know, how many fish did y'all catch? Well, how big of a fish did you catch? And you know, and you know, make it about numbers and size. When I, I recently had a, a client uh, just a few weeks ago, and you know, we call we call it two little dinker fish, and I felt terrible. I mean, this dude. Uh, he paid, he, you know, he'd been looking for this trip and, you know, paid a pretty penny and caught two fish in my eyes. Like I just failed this man. Um, but he, he looked at me and then trip and goes, heck no, man, you did, you did great. You did what you're supposed to do. You taught me about the river. You put me in position. 
and I had a blast and I just enjoyed being out here. I hadn't fished in five years. Wow. And, and that kind of, and that kind of hit me and it's like my job wasn't to give him 30 fish. It was to give him that release and he got it even if it was on a small number catch catch day, but he got his release. I think that's great. I think that's great. Reese and Ian, uh, thank you guys for that. Well, we're going to, we're going to close it down. We'll see you guys next week. Also, uh, you guys, we might be in the middle of March madness by the time this comes out and we do have a bracket. So hopefully you signed up. Cause if not, by the time you hear this it's too late, but good luck to everyone. And if someone wins, we'll put a little prize package together for you. Also, also, uh, guys, please go leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. And go check out our website where we now have whiskey glasses. Also, fun fact, <laughs> Reese and I went to my first professional basketball game together. Oh, nice. The Atlanta Hawks playing uh, the Denver Nuggets. Nice. Hey, you remember it. I did. So, and uh, <laughs> we're going to go now. Also, no, one one more thing. Remember to send us in your feeder pick Fridays. Yeah. So any trail cam photos, otherwise you're going to keep on getting them from the cameras I've run. Um, (laughs) So it's going to start, it's going to start being a bunch of repetitiveness if you don't send in photos and it can be anything on a trail cam we're not looking for just deer what about a looking- ring door cam because i get some interesting critters on my ring door cam i can start saving the footage <laughs> I, I take neat photos of my Dude, camera I send those okay in. ring door cams are fully acceptable yes uh if you take a good photo with your camera I'll, I'll i'll take it like if it's something wildlife like I'm going to put a little bit more, be more of a stickler on like camera photos versus a trail cam photo. For sure. But just send us your I'll neat take fo- it. photos. Yeah. Guys. Send us your neat photos of nature. There you go. And stuff. There you go. All, All right. right, guys. Or the UPS man dropping off your package. <laughs> see you next week. We'll see y'all next week. All right. Bye, guys. Every time. Gets me every time. <laughs> yeah, it does.